This digitally remastered episode is sponsored by our publisher, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. To get a signed copy of our book, Transmigrations, go to sageandsavant.com or pick up your copy from edgewebsite.com or Amazon today. And now for our show. Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. Brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California, it is our great pleasure to now bring you the first installment in a double episode for the holiday season. Episode 7.1, Christmas Miracles, was written by Eddie Louise. Our tale stars Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator, and introducing Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle. This special double episode, Holiday Program, features the music of Unwoman. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw Dr. Sage, she was contemplating the provenance of her good fortune at the hands of the mysterious Chargé du Fer. But now that the generous funding has provided for a new and very much larger laboratory, such considerations have been tabled. Place that one on the table under the windows, thank you. No, 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 not you, not the second one. That box will come over here onto my desk. Yes, thank you. Uh, careful! That box is fragile. Put it over here by the bookshelves. Yes, that one goes there by the credenza. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all. Enter! Ah, Petra... Dr. Sage, I see you are settling into your new accommodations. Yes, quite. Thank you, Mr. Cunningham. I had nothing to do with it, as you know quite well. It is unprecedented for a researcher to be granted such commodious space before their research has proved out. You can be sure I will be hearing about this from the other researchers. I'm sorry for the discomfort that securing a very wealthy new donor has caused you. Oh, the money and the prestige it brings are all well and good, but that will only last if you produce results. Never fear, you will have your results. Now, if you'll be so good as to let me get on with it. Yes, yes. Oh, Doctor, one more thing. May I present Miss Abigail Entwistle? Max, please. Max Entwistle. It is time the university stopped segregating the female scientists from the male. If we could all be addressed by the same honorific, Max, it would go a long way to dissolving false barriers, don't you think? Miss Entwistle, you are not here to promulgate the essentialist twaddle of the philosophy department. I agreed to your secondary studies with them as a means of strengthening your curricula vitae in regards to a teaching position. In this lab, you will confine your comments to those matters of biology and galvanization. Are you clear on this? Yes, Max Cunningham, sir. I only meant to highlight your own stance on fair play in the academic environment. We must ensure that accolades are earned, not simply bestowed based on faulty reasoning. Quite right. 
There is an order to these things. What is granted is predicated on what is earned. Exactly. Now, you shall observe and report on Dr. Sage's experiments and laboratory practices. I shall advise you not to become too friendly with her in order that you may remain the impartial observer. Yes, Mr. Cunningham. Thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Cunningham. Well, then, I shall take my leave. Good day, ladies. Oh, Max Cunningham is very angry with you. What did she do to get on his bad side? Oh, I've dared to keep my research results secret until I have quantifiable data. Oh, the old, a woman knows something I don't problem. But still, he is your superior. We women may be working towards full equality, but we do not have it yet. You would do well to keep that in mind. Why should I structure my behavior to meet a standard that is at best antiquated and at worst outright discriminatory? Being a genius with breasts is a challenge to the old world order. But think of how far we have come. They used to keep us stored away in drafty old estates where we could make our scientific investigations and they would get the credit for them. Now they give us laboratories and research space at the same universities. Some men have not moved into the modern world, but many have. Things will continue to evolve if we do not upset the apple cart. So that's why Cunningham chose you to be my watchdog, because you can temper your forthrightness to accommodate his comfort. I had expected Jeffrey or some unwashed undergraduate male to be assigned the post. I wondered that myself. I'm sure Max Cunningham would have preferred a male, but it seemed all the applicants were female. Perhaps the men felt that it was beneath them to babysit a female scientist. In any case, it pays ten bob a week, and I can work on my graduate thesis whilst here. So I thought, why not? I hope you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Well, that isn't entirely true. Of course, I mind having a watchdog. But if it had to happen, then I must admit I'm somewhat relieved my watchdog is a woman. Men can be so tedious when they do not understand your work. Hello, Erasmus. Hello, pet. What lovely new digs you have here. Oh, pardon me, miss. I didn't see you. Professor Erasmus Savant at your service. Erasmus, may I present Miss Abigail Entwistle, my official watchdog. Oh, I wouldn't say watchdog. More the casual observer who sometimes must give report to the provost. <laughs> Charmed, I'm sure. Mix, is that the new honorific designed to remove gender from the equation? Oh, capital that. <laughs> Yes. Dr. Sage, if you could just tell me when you believe you shall be set up to begin your work, I can leave you to the organization of your laboratory. Thank you, Abigail. I shall need a week at least to get settled in. I'll send word when I am ready and a cadaver becomes available. Thank you, Doctor. Good day, Professor. Well, she seems a bit of all right. Well, let us hope she proves as reasonable as she seems. Hopefully, she will come when called and leave when told. Otherwise, I have no idea how we are to conceal our travels from her. Winter term break starts in just a few weeks. Perhaps we will have to wait until then before we venture into the unknown once again? Well, the university can no longer complain about your electrical usage, and surely Provost Cunningham can't be expecting Mix Entwistle to stay at college during term breaks just to keep tabs on you. Well, that solves my problem for one or two trips only. I need to come up with a better long-term solution. No, I have faith. You will come up with something, my dear. 
Join me for a spot of lunch. The next couple of weeks went by in a blur as the doctor settled into her spacious new laboratory. The central lab was flanked by two rooms, the first intended to serve as an office, and the latter to provide a small sleeping area for those times an experiment could not be left unattended. This sleeping room was nearly the size of her previous laboratory, and Dr. Sage realized it would be the perfect location to set up the traveling apparatus away from prying eyes. The mysterious Chargé du Fer had set up a line of credit for the doctor, and she used that money to create an automated system to control the travel process itself, as well as manage the human waste removal and replenish the intravenous liquids. Of course, all of this equipment needed to be constructed after hours to remain under the provost's radar, but finally the rig was ready to be tested. So you see, from the water injection into the tray, to the Faraday channels for the electricity, to the waste removal and intravenous fluids, the entire system is automated and controlled via this clockwork control panel. I have rigged the switching system to reset via a series of weighted elliptical fulcrums, which I can keep running indefinitely by timed bursts of electrical energy. I set the fluids and waste removal to work around the clock for as long as 25 days, more than long enough for any trip we might embark upon. Uh, unless there is no violence. Pardon? Uh, unless there is no violence. What should we do if we happen to jump into bodies that are not part of a society of violence? Professors or tailors or some other form of existence that does not contain the daily threat of death. Have you come to a solution for that? Would we be able to suicide and still get home? I still cannot answer that. There are too many variables. For example, is it technically necessary to die? After all, we do not die here in our own time, but we leave our own bodies on a flow of electrical energy. And where are we when we do leave our bodies before we've inhabited others? How long are we in that in-between? Is it possible to be conscious of that time and space? Or is flesh necessary for consciousness? <sighs> stop, stop. There are too many questions. More questions than answers at this point, yes. I believe, however, that what may be at work here is Thevenin's theorem. With the intact electrical systems of the bodies we are jumping into allowing my one-port network to be reduced to a single voltage source and a single impedance. Therefore, when the secondary electrical source of our host is interrupted, the system reverts to single port. If this is the case, then regardless of the moral strictures against suicide, a death by one's own hands would provide provide the same circuit interruption as that created by violent or nefarious means. Oh, I'm sure that makes sense to you, but the upshot is that suicide may or may not work. Exactly. Uh, I'll accept your analysis. I should suppose so. Have you cleared your calendar as asked? The calendar has found its way to December, and as of the first, the students departed and the provosts and professors followed soon after. Petronella and Erasmus arranged to meet back at her laboratory in order to travel during the holidays, where they can do so unobserved and in no danger of disrupting lectures. I have, and I'm yours, my dear, for the entire month of December. Good. Let's get into our Faraday armor and try out my new automated systems, shall we? The two dress in the now familiar suits, positioning waste tubes and donning CRAP helmets. Jump up, Erasmus. With this new design, once we are in place on our tables, I can just attach this to the panel and position this like this. Very elegant. Oh, have you added 
purring to the tables. Just a little, to raise our buttocks from the hard surface. Hopefully it will aid in the prevention of any kind of bed sores. Surely you do not intend for us to be gone long enough to develop bed sores. I absolutely do not, but it is better to be prepared for any eventuality, yes? No Edison recording, Pat? (gasps) What? Oh, damn! I completely forgot to rig a second device in this room. Give me a moment, I'll just write out notes of the settings I've chosen for this trip. I'm aiming to send us back to the Renaissance. The doctor hastily scribbles out her notes and leaves the paper on a desk in the corner of the main laboratory. Then she returns to the sleeping room, takes her place on the slab, and buckles in for what she hopes is the farthest trip into the past they have yet taken. Godspeed, Erasmus. Godspeed, dear heart. The new clockwork control panel allows the doctor to lie back and relax as the machine revs up the electrical energy and routes it toward the slabs via the new Faraday conduits. The difference in noise level is remarkable, and a boon to this narrator's vocal cords. The energy now hums rather than assaults, and the entire laboratory seems to be transported into the heart of the machine itself. If this new apparatus is any indication, the doctor's experiments have entered a new phase. Will the new equipment allow the doctor to finally pinpoint her trajectories through time and space? We'll find out after this brief musical interlude. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the musical stylings of the unparalleled Unwoman.
sky falling and the wolves at your heels beg for comfort I can't give I myself am desperate to be loved I can't wait to be And now, back to our story. I am thrilled to report success. The doctor believed that her settings would bring them to the Renaissance, and Renaissance Italy is exactly where they have landed. Unfortunately, they are in Naples on the 5th of December, 1456, in the aftermath of one of the worst earthquakes ever recorded. The aftershocks are still punishing the city, where over 30,000 people have died in the rubble, including the bodies that now play host to our intrepid pair. Erasmus? Where are we? Oh, I can't move! And it's so dark! Erasmus! The professor answered his friend. I'm here, pet. We are all right. Let me look around. Funny. My eyes are having trouble focusing. I wonder if I've been habited a myopic person. Oh, oh that is funny. I can't sit up. Oh, oh. But what the doctor heard was... My God, Erasmus, is that you? It cannot be you. I am afraid that the baby is indeed Professor Erasmus. In fact, the doctor has inhabited the body of Gianetta Corsini, a new mother and wife of an ambitious silk merchant. She died, crushed under the weight of a collapsing villa, her three-month-old son clutched in her arms. The professor has inhabited the baby, 
This should be interesting. In his usual manner, the professor attempts to calm the doctor. I won't cry, pet. Not if it upsets you. I do not want to upset you. Oh, no, don't be, don't be upset. Oh, oh, please, Petra. But of course. Fortunately, these negotiations get interrupted by rescue. Not knowing if she was the titular Gianetta, but still in need of rescue, the doctor replied, Here! We are here! I cannot move! Gianetta! Oh, Gianetta, my love! Are you unharmed? It is a miracle! Grazie, Dio! Please, please, the baby! And so, rescue arrives, and our intrepid heroes are pulled from the crushing rubble into a world of complete devastation. It is here I must take a moment to comment on the reality that earthquakes drop houses over the heads of rich and poor alike, and yet recovery from such disaster varies greatly, as the poor must exist in the rubble whilst the rich repair to their second homes. Oh, Giannetta, oh, my beloved, are you hurt? Uh, how is the baby? Do we need a physic? Oh, uh, I'm fine. Do we need water? Water? Oh, bring some water. Where are we? Uh, do you not remember, love? Uh, have you hit your head? I'm sorry. Who are you again? I, I am Marsilio, your own beloved. Do you not know me? I apologize. I I'm a little bit shaken. Where did you say we are? This is my mother's villa in Napoli. We came to introduce her to her grandson. Oh, Mother of Christ. Mama! Mama! Where is Mama? I, I do not know. I did not see her. Erasmus must be in the body of the mother. Marsilio, you must find her. She is still under there. Keep digging. We must keep searching. My mother is in there somewhere. And so, in the way of these things, miracles and tragedies walk hand in hand. Marsilio's wife and child were spared in the guise of the doctor and the professor, but the remainder of the household was crushed in the rubble. Across the whole of the city, the same heartbreaking tableau plays out. Come, Gianetta. One of the fabric sheds was spared. I will have the min clear a space that we can have for shelter. I, I will see you settled there, and then I will come back to help search for Mama. And so the doctor finds herself once again holding the unfamiliar baby, sitting in a windowless shed completely surrounded by gigantic bales of cloth. The lingering scents of the dyes used to achieve the beautiful colors are pungent in the air. I'm hungry! I do not know what you want, baby. Hopefully Marsilio will find his mother and Professor Savant in her guise. He probably knows how to take care of a baby. Erasmus knows quite a lot about many things, actually. I'm here! What I know is that I am hungry! As if in response to the baby's cries, Dr. Sage feels a funny sort of tightening in her breast, and suddenly... Her shift, corset, and bodice are flooded. The baby immediately begins rootling at the source of the wetness. Oh! 
Oh, the child needs nourishment, of course. And so, with no little discomfort and a good deal of fumbling, the doctor manages to loosen her clothing and expose a swollen breast to the nuzzling mouth of the baby. We could do damage to our psyches, dear listeners, if we contemplated the ramifications of what transpires here. So instead, I will draw your attention to the greater historical reality of the time we find ourselves in. In a world where natural disasters such as earthquakes are considered the divine and just providence of God, there is little in the way of mitigation and certainly nothing in the way of preparation. As such, Naples is sorely afflicted. The wife and son's arrived. Uh, Gianetta and the baby are fine, Mama. I am uh, taking you to them. Gianetta, I'm here with Mama. We found her alive. Naturally, Petronella, having refused to entertain the fact that the professor could be inhabiting a baby, is delighted to see the woman. Leaving the contented and sleeping child on a bale of velvet, she jumps to greet the person she assumes is her dearest friend. You are here! I am so glad you are here! Unhand me, child. There is no call for such affection. <laughs> of course there is call, Mama. We are all here. We are alive. We are unharmed. By the grace of God, we must rejoice in that miracle. Yes, Mother, and what a miracle it has been. Would you care to illuminate why you did not identify yourself earlier when I called out to you from under the rubble? Gionetta, you will call me Mother Rosa as you always have. You may have convinced my son to abandon his family name in favor of the powerful Corsini, but I will have respect due to my family. Thank you. Come now, Mama. Gianetta. Certainly, in the shadow of this miracle, we must not dissolve into old habits. Mother... DeRosa, you you were not... Hurt? No, no, she took a nasty pump to the head, but we found her and she awakened. And she knew where she was and who I was. Truly, God in heaven is watching over my family today. I see, yes, quite right. We are fortunate. Were any of the servants found alive? No, may God have mercy on their souls. The three of you are the only miracles I was allotted this day. The three of us? The baby, you scatterbrain. The baby. How is little Luca? Oh! The baby. And now the penny drops. Uh, the baby is fine. He was hungry, and I fed him at my breast. The baby ate? Oh, my love, that is most welcome news. Uh, yeah, it's a good sign. Humans who have suffered trauma generally begin recovery with the advent of appetite. I'm confident the infant will prove unscathed by the trauma. <laughs> Come here, my little chubbykin. Who is the good boy now? Who has such a nice round tummy? Did my little canola eat a good meal? Mother De Rosa, he surely does not appreciate being talked to as if he were an imbecile. Gianetta. I meant the boy was sleeping. Certainly he should be allowed to sleep in peace. Here, Mother De Rosa, let me soothe him. Gianetta does have a point, Mother. We must let the baby have his peace and quiet after the horrors of this morning. And I am sure a little peace and quiet will help all of our tempers. You are right, Marsilio. I humbly apologize, Mother DeRosa. I am sure we are all more than a little stressed due to the events of the day. <sighs> oh, come this way, Mother. I shall create a nest for you all your own. Living in a fabric shed is no place for a family, Marsilio. Yeah, I know, Mama, but we are far more fortunate than some. 
we must be grateful for our blessings. Tomorrow, we will have furniture brought, and we will have a cook and a maid for you and Gianetta. And so Marsilio took away his mother, and Dr. Sage gathered the slumbering infant to her body and pinched him awake. Hey! What was that for? These are the questions the doctor has for her friend. Professor Savant, is this really you? If you are inhabiting the body of this infant, then however are we to communicate? You're communicating quite clearly, my dear. I understand you perfectly. If you are trying to answer me, you should know that every word is gibberish. Infants do not develop speech patterns of any recognizable sounds for many months after birth. And I have no idea how long that has been for you. From the evidence before us, however, I must conclude that language at this juncture is beyond even your prodigious talents. Of course, since you cannot truly identify yourself, I have no way of knowing if this is even really you. Of course I am me! Just listen to me, woman! And waking in the aftermath of an earthquake has provided its own challenges. Where might I find violence when it is needed to send us home? What kind of monster would perpetrate a death blow on an infant? Uh, Infanticide is a prospect too horrible to consider. Uh, We shall leave the good doctor to her musings and take a short break for a message from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that ignite my imagination, that make me think about the world in new ways, and that inspire me to build a future world. This is the kind of fiction I strive to write, and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, Transmigrations, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com. Yes, dear friends, when you want to curl up with a great story, trust books from Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. It has been nearly two weeks since we last checked in with our friends, and much has happened. The earthquake that heralded their entry into the 15th century Italian Renaissance was devastating to the city of Naples. Aftershocks have continued to roll through the region and hamper recovery efforts. Marsilio Cassini has been a force for good, so grateful to God for sparing his own family that he has dedicated countless hours to the clearing of broken buildings and the burying of bodies found in the rubble. After a few days of hope, the doctor resigned herself to the fact that the professor does indeed inhabit the body of the infant, and they have been devising a crude communication method. I do not know if you have enough motor control to manage this, but I shall tie this bell around your wrist with this ribbon like so. And then I'll tie this rattle into the other hand like so. There. Now... I must ask you yes or no questions. Let's say bell for yes, rattle for no. How does that work? What do you mean no? What doesn't work about this? Yes, I am right. You think it does not work. Or yes, it will work after all. Which is it? 
Oh, if ever there was a time for you to give up prevaricating, Erasmus, now is that time. On another note, the situation here has greatly improved. Marsilio has proven adept at managing the aftermath of a disaster. In addition to the work he continues to do out and about in the city, he has turned the fabric shed into a very snug little home with bales of velvet for interior walls, chairs and tables, bedsteads, and even tapestries to help block out the drafts. His constant joy at seeing his wife and child after even a short separation has proven strong enough to crack the reserve of the doctor, who now finds herself waiting with anticipation for the handsome Italian to come through the door. Who has the most beautiful wife in all Annapoli? Speaking of whom? Beautiful wife, handsome child, see what your loving papa has brought for you. <laughs> is that a manger? Why, yes it is. If it was good enough for the blessed Christ, then it will good enough for our oh, little Oh, and Luca. is that cedar I smell? Yes. I've been cutting branches from the fallen trees behind Mama's villa. We shall fill our homes with evergreen and candles and red velvet bows. We shall have our own little Presepi with a manger for our sweet boy. He shall have a glorious Christmas. All we need are some wandering shepherds, a handful of animals, three kings with the appropriate <laughs> gifts, and a star. <laughs> Perhaps when the Zambonari come, they will bring their sheep with them. <clears throat> I got the manger for Luca to sleep in so that our bed can once again be our own. I miss touching my flesh to yours in the night. Oh! Look how clever our boy is. Are you clever, little Luca? Are you the most clever boy in the yes, world? Yes, I am clever. And don't you go thinking you can worm your way in with my girl. Listen to his strong cry. My son is a lusty boy. I believe he is hungry, Marsilio. Give him back to me. Oh, Madonna and child. Uh, where should I put our son's new bed? Just there in the corner, Marsilio. Thank you. Son, beloved Marsilio. Is that you? Duty calls. See, Mama, it is I. I, I will be right there, Mama. <sighs> kiss me, kiss me before I brave the dragon. <laughs> Marsilio is such a very good man, Erasmus. But there is nothing he knows, nothing in this life of his at all that can help us get home. Soon we must walk out into the rubble of Naples and search for a solution to our little problem. Hmm? Yes, that is right. It is a very comfortable life here, and there is probably no reason to rush. After all, this is the first real holiday we've taken in ages. Now, Erasmus, don't be brash. I am perfectly aware that this is more of a holiday for me than you, even if it is my breast in your mouth just now. And Erasmus, we will get home, I promise. Who? Is Erasmus? Marsilio, I did not hear you come back. Answer the question, Gianetta. Who is this Erasmus, and why do you keep calling my son his name? Oh, oh no, 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 Marsilio, no. Erasmus is a, a pet name. It's just a little silliness between Luca and me. Many years ago, when I was but a girl, a traveling professor from England visited Florence, and he told me that his name meant wise one. This is why I use his name for Luca, because a mother can already see that he is very wise. Just look at this little face. 
Oh, my sweet, you are right. He does look like a little professor. So, my Rasmus, you will grow to be strong and wise like your papa, will you not? And on that note, we must end our episode. Will Sage and Savant find a way home for Christmas? Or will they live the rest of their days in Renaissance Italy? Find out in part two of episode seven, Christmas Miracles. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Episode 7.1, Christmas Miracles, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for the complete bibliography. Theme music and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was provided by Unwoman. Check her out at unwoman.com. We would like to thank our friends Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for sponsoring this digitally remastered episode. Catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.